0: Hey, welcome to the podcast. My name is not Daniel Markin. That voice you're hearing right there is Johnny Markin, the sheriff himself, joining <laughs> us in studio for after a long hiatus—quite
1: a long hiatus, as a matter of fact. That great. Wait, wait, work. which one of us is talking right now?
0: I have no... This is Daniel.
2: Oh, good. The, the okay. bond being shared between these two right now is just amazing. Eye contact, everything. It's, the, it's all the, there. Wow. the voice wow. of Andrew Gettard. Your father-son.
0: This, uh, this is a special moment here, Sheriff. May I... Dare I call you Dad? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably more appropriate than the sheriff.
2: Father-son, but don't call me the spirit. It's not that kind of Amen. Okay, let's end the podcast. Okay.
0: Thanks for and listening. We're done. Daniel, 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 and mic drop. Just kidding, it's not over. Oh. Um, <laughs> hey, thanks for listening, tuning in. This is great to have you both here Andrew Getter, Johnny Markin. Um, by nature, the fact that Jeff Bucknam is sick, Greg Harris uh, is bailing, Paul Siemens uh, is tied up, Andy Stagger is nowhere to be seen. Um, I thought, well, why don't we just get the worship guys down here? We're all you could find.
2: Uh, You're yeah, the replacement End of today. the line. End of the but, line. You know who the true workers are.
0: Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but we're here instead. That's what I'm saying. You're here.
2: <laughs> that's true. In the trenches, if you will.
0: Yeah, in the trenches, mm-hmm. down in the in the booth. Got do our the, part, Daniel. You know, someone's got to record this podcast. Well, you know, that's it. They, Show record must go itself. on. And Mind what? Mind blown. <laughs> that's right, Johnny. That's right. Anyways, we're happy to have you here, and we want to do a little bit of kind of worship talking first. I hope you had a good weekend, Andrew. Are you leading worship in any venue?
2: I didn't. I was actually just able to take in uh, West Court and and uh, participate in song and scripture with my brothers and sisters. It was mm. awesome. Yeah, it was really good. Very and good. Uh, Johnny,
1: what did you uh, partake in? Well, we attended the uh, baptism service on Saturday evening. I was not leading in any of the venues this weekend. And uh, just coming back from my course, uh, it was nice to be able to just have that weekend to recoup and refresh. Mm. Mm.
0: So I want to come back to the baptism in a bit, but... Um, What do you, what have you been doing lately? Because you just mentioned a course here. I know there's some other stuff that's going to be announced this weekend. You're a very busy man <laughs> and, uh, you know, busier than Ezra who claims to be a very busy man. That is not he, d- he does
2: make outrageous claims about his busyness. Who, Ezra or John? Oh, a- Ezra. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, I am so busy <laughs> and sweaty. <laughs> Perfect impression. That was it. Oh, Ezra's in the studio. Hello. <laughs> Um, Johnny, what have you been doing? (laughs) uh, (laughs) What's your deal? Uh, How do I follow that? I (laughs) I know. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Okay, bye,
1: Azarosa. Okay, bye. (laughs) There goes the door. Uh, One of the things that I've been doing since the fall is uh, our church is kind of uh, doing a a little partnership with Trinity Western University. They approached us uh, about helping with their worship arts program program. Leadership training has been a big part of what we have been uh, participating in here at Northview, and especially with our worship leaders and interns and whatnot. Uh, And they said, look, we could use some help over there. And uh, Executive Pastor Steve Weens and the leadership team, they talked about it and said, you know, it's kind of like I'm on loan kind of a thing, like, you know, with football players in England, and they they go on loan to another... You know, so you're still
0: owned by Northview, <laughs> but you are sharing time with Trinity Western. Yeah, <laughs>
1: pursuing a 20-goal season or something. I don't there know.
0: you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Go, vi- go Villa. The, you know, maybe, maybe a little washed out. Maybe not as fast as you used yeah, to be. Yeah, the knees
1: aren't what they used to be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But uh, that's awesome. So you've been working there at Trinity Western, and that's been going well? Yeah. just
1: te- I taught a, co- a course on worship theology and history last fall, and I'm teaching uh, some songwriting and uh, helping with their, uh, one of their worship ensembles, training them for getting uh, some concerts and stuff outside. So
0: like a touring team? I believe it is, yeah. Why don't you tell the people who want to know, the listeners program, what you're actually going to be doing. Cause it's, it's, give the, give the people what they want. you got heark- yeah. It's you got to give people what they want, and it harkens back to what you used to do way back in the day.
1: <laughs> back in the day when uh, we were in England living over there, I used to do a fair bit of touring uh, with music and whatnot, and concerts, leading worship. But uh, what is exciting about this is that there's a touring team being put together by Trinity Western musicians and students uh, and to be sent on a tour with Wren Collective in the UK in the springtime, so they've asked me to kind of help get that team ready, get them all rehearsed and uh, songs prepared. And uh, if we can, we'd like to record a little EP of their music to uh, represent what the team does. Mm. So they're doing some songwriting and uh, whatnot. So pretty exciting time, good chance to go back and visit uh, Britain. Mm.
2: That's, that's a awesome. neat, that's a neat opportunity for both you and the students experiencing that for the first time potentially.
1: What was really fun was earlier in the fall, Rent Collective called over to Trinity and said, hey, we uh, would love to have some of your singers from the university on our new album. And uh, so they kind of sent word around to some of us in the faculty and said, hey, can anybody in the music department get this recorded? And went, woo, we have a studio at Northview. And so we asked and, uh, and Steve said, yeah, let's do that. So we pulled in about 20 students down here in the studio the podcast studio that's right Uh, and we recorded a bunch of songs for the rent collective album and they actually really thought they sounded pretty good Mm. and if you go on to their well you can go to youtube to the live clip that they filmed in uh, glad tidings church in vancouver for a song called uh, nailed to the cross and when you hear the audience singing that's predominantly the singers from trinity western recorded right here at northview community not actually the audience but yeah because the no, they didn't really know the song it was just like a brand new song mm-hmm.
2: yeah so sure so they, yeah they brought in a bunch of backups but you know there is there is somebody in this room right now who if you listen very carefully on the album you can hear the distinctness of that sweet mark and voice
0: and that's not Johnny Mark right? it's no, not that Johnny would be Daniel that's my no. yep. praise there Getter. it yeah yep. actually funny story I was leaving I was grabbing a coffee with one of my guys at youth one of my youth kids one of my Mentorees, uh, mentorees, yeah. disciple. What are you, apprentices? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. What they, I no, was I'd hanging with one of the, over the podcast at some point. Yeah, I know. I was hanging with one of them, and then I get this phone call from my dad, and he said, "Hey, what are you doing tonight?" And I was saying, uh "You know, I don't know, nothing. Maybe I think I was going to go get wings. I'm like, actually, it's it's cheap <laughs> wing night. I might just go and smash some wings with the boys." And uh, to which he says, "Why don't you uh, cancel that and come sing backing vocals for Ren Collective?" To which I said. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, I can't make wings. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll be there. So yeah, <laughs> it was I'm it was a great good.
1: night of fellowship. You yeah. actually know a lot of the students who were involved in it too, and so yeah. that
0: was really cool. No, it was really cool to be a part of that and see how you work and get an experience of how the studio, you know, behind the scenes works and whatnot. And then, mm-hmm. you know, from there, it's been awesome. It's, it's launched my career of backing vocals. I'm actually while <laughs> well, you go yeah. on tour with Ren Collective, I'm uh, you may have heard of John Mayer. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, mm. and guys like Ed Sheeran and stuff. And so there's yeah. I mean, I'm in high level talks with them. <laughs> uh, Define high level. Do you know, a few text messages back and forth on a first name basis. (laughs) (laughs) What you send them and they they don't respond. Not important. So (laughs) what we're going to be talking about today is, um, well, you you mentioned, we talked about baptism. You're also doing your, uh, not PhD, you're doing your doctoral work. That's right. Right now. So you're also studying, and you're doing a lot of studying around, dare we say, the sacraments.
1: Uh, or ordinances if you're a
0: proper protestant, you're a proper protestant. So, I want to actually take some time today on the podcast to talk about those because a lot of times I think we go through the motions of doing communion, we go through the motions of doing baptism, we more or less understand that, you know, uh baptism is a symbol and communion is a symbol and we we engage in these, but it'd be great to if you you guys both of you would actually take us a little bit deeper in the, you know, the deeper significance, how is the trinity involved in that? And uh yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I think it would actually be beneficial for, for us. Yeah, where do you want to start? Let's start with uh, baptism.
1: Well, baptism, it's pretty exciting when we watch what's going on in, a, uh, in an environment like we saw on Saturday evening. We are watching people being—the uh, word initiate that Greg used in mm-hmm. his message in explaining it, I think is a good one. Historically, baptism has been the way that people make their public profession of the Christian faith. Throughout Christian church history, this is what was done. And um, this then is what people would do in terms of responding to the Spirit's move in their lives to follow Christ. And um, obviously, if we think in Trinitarian terms, I think it's a beautiful picture that the Spirit... Uh, brings us to the truth about Christ, who is our mediator, who provides the way to the Father. So baptism and being initiated into the church is is a beautiful picture of how we are initiated into the triune God by way of our conversion moment, if you will. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a a work of the the entire Trinity. It's a beautiful mystery and a beautiful way of understanding the three persons of the Trinity is watching Mm -hmm. what they do and what they represent. Mm
0: -hmm. Is there a significance to be drawn from there, from Jesus' baptism, where all three members of the Trinity are present?
1: Well, that's a beautiful picture in the Gospels, Mm -hmm. because we actually have a moment there where you can see that there is the Father uh, audibly speaking about the Son while the Spirit descends as a dove. And it's one of the pictures that the theologians will show uh, as an explanation of the Trinity, an observation of the Trinity, though the concept of the Trinity is not in the New Testament itself. Uh, yet it is implicit in situations like this because we see the different uh, members of Godhead by the works that they engage in, by the ministry they engage in. So yeah, that is part of it. But we have to understand that when Jesus was baptized, it was a different kind of meaning for his baptism versus what John was doing Mm -hmm. with other people versus what Christian believers do. So when people were baptized uh, by John the Baptist, they were coming for the remission of their sins. Mm. And so there was a sense of of ritual cleansing that went on uh, by this. And it, it was a public profession, too. Jesus' baptism was to fulfill all of the law. But Christian baptism, and as we understand it with our distinctives as Anabaptists, is that public profession of initiation into the community. We're actually exemplifying what God has already done internally by his spirit. And so He has. we are displaying, I think it's beautifully put when they say, you go under the water to show your death and then your resurrection with Christ as you come out of the water. A beautiful picture of the believer who is now in Christ and one faith, one Lord, one baptism. mm mm-hmm
0: because I, I like the i love that idea of the cleansing that's an amazing thought but when we get when someone gets baptized we would say actually you're not being cleansed there wouldn't we say that upon your conversion when the holy spirit does that work in your life and you believe upon jesus yeah. then you are forgiven then you are cleansed then you are pronounced righteous
1: yeah i mean there is a, there are certain wings of the church who still look at uh, baptism for remission of sins, especially those who would practice uh, pedo-baptism or child-infant baptism uh, in more... Uh, it, well, in Roman Catholic circles. Uh, and this is something they worked from Augustine's theology where he talked about uh, original sin. And yeah. what do we do if a child dies knowing that he is in sin? Well, we better get him baptized. Can you, ha- can you explain how
0: we come across original sin? How does that come about in Augustine's work?
1: In, in Augustine's work, I mean, you have a sense that Man is in a sinful state of rebellion, and so there was this sense that there is a condition that needs to be dealt with, and this was dealt with effectively on the cross by Christ, that all who would then uh, embrace that would be made whole from that original sin, which is different from what when we talk about sins as actions. There's the state mm. of sin and then the actions which are acts of disobedience too. So that there is a there's a huge difference between those two things. And we, we think of the, the sort of ritual cleansing of baptism in John's time as those things for the actions of sin versus the, the sense of uh, what Christ has done by the work on the cross and his shed blood to remove that state of disobedience when we embrace him.
2: Johnny, you've used a couple of different words already. Um, for, for our listeners who aren't as up to speed with the vocabulary, maybe we can we just talk about um, what do you see as the difference between um, baptism, communion, et cetera, as sacraments and those um, those things as ordinances. You've used those words before, and I just I would be interested in hearing you talk well, a little l- bit about l- the differences. I think
1: the, the uh, there's a difference between a sacrament and that which is sacramental. Sure. Uh, if we look at the word sacramental, it's that which is used for a holy or a set aside purpose. Uh, so, I- in a sense, water can be sacramental if it's used in baptism which is, if you will, an ordinance of the Church. An ordinance is simply, we are ordered to do these two things by Christ, to make believers and baptize them, to be baptized. And the second one is to remember me in this way, in the bread and the cup. And so those are the two ordinances that we practice uh, as Protestants. So the difference is that sacramentality in some traditions can be anything. Like Take the Orthodox tradition where they say that all creation— is good. God created it, said it is good. And so everything in creation is there for the glory of God and to be used for his glory. So common things such as water, such as bread, uh, these are things that uh, become sacramental when used in worship. Right. So uh, it's a difference between that which is a sacrament, which is an impartation of God's grace toward your salvation or sanctification in certain church traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, in other words, in, in say, the Roman Catholic uh, tradition, you there are seven sacraments, and you should be participating in all of them when possible in order to uh, obtain the graces that guide us through the church to salvation. Right. Yeah. So that's a long answer. Sure. <laughs>
2: that's good. That brings some clarity, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when we uh,
0: engage in baptism, I guess to, to, to put a nod on this, because I want to move to communion. Um, this is definitely for the the church. Church's edification. It's a public declaration. Mm-hmm. But would baptism do anything to, it doesn't reconcile us with the Father other than, you know, we are to believe and be baptized. So it's it's following what, um, we are, you know, I guess, commanded to do and, and mm-hmm. instructed to do. I think the order in which you say
1: that is actually really important, to believe and be baptized. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, because we're we're illustrating what God has already done. And, and so there's not that moment uh, that we perceive that that's when we become, if you will, saved, uh, to use that terminology. But it's an expression of us having died to Christ and now we'll rise again to newness of walk in Him.
0: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, hopefully that was... Uh, helpful to the listeners. Let's move into communion. Um, So that's another sacrament or another ordinance. Yeah. And uh, here's the question. Why do we do communion?
1: Well, the first and most important reason, Andrew, is what?
2: Well, to remember, but also to look ahead.
1: Oh, there we go. Andrew is describing an aspect of worship called anamnesis, which is what we do uh, by—it's an action, and this is where worship is a verb. It's an action that we do that took place in the past. We rehearse it in the present because it points to the hope of the future. And the Lord's Table is one of those great anamnesis acts of worship in which not only did Jesus say, do this— which is the first reason we should do is just be Yeah, obedient. I was going to say,
2: that's probably what you're getting at. It's more the, the command, the command <laughs> yeah. to do it. But yeah. your answer was much more clever, I guess. <laughs> uh,
1: but, yeah, I mean, we, we, we do this to remember the story of the gospel, not just to remember the story of how Jesus saved me, but the story of the gospel about the creation about the uh, the fall of mankind and the sin that separated us, and then the redemption brought by Christ. We remember his incarnation in the physicality of the elements. And then we see the brokenness in the brokenness of the bread. It reminds mm. us of our own sin and brokenness and how Christ was broken for us. We see the cup. And the, the image of wine, like blood, uh, is a beautiful picture of the, the blood that Christ shed and became the sacrificial lamb once for all time. Mm-hmm. So, beautiful pictures mm-hmm. and beautiful symbols. And, of course, in our tradition, we, we take, if you will, a Zwinglian position that nothing really mystical happens to these elements on the table before us. And there are traditions that do believe this. They invite the Spirit to come and... Alter the elements in some way and we call this the presence. where is the presence of Christ mm-hmm. in, in, in this sacramental way that we uh, engage with God and we, we believe that they are just symbols they remain bread and cup and yet the miracle is that Christ is at the table in us mm-hmm. because Christ in you, Christ in me, by his spirit, and Christ in you the hope of glory.
2: right so the Reformed tradition would say that because Jesus is physical body his presence he's he is with god yes right so therefore he cannot be in and of the elements themselves but he is around them in us
1: yeah, those with a reformed background would recognize yeah. the phrase real presence right yeah in the in the sense that uh, by his spirit he can be in those elements sure Spiritually, and there's yeah. there's an act uh, an epiclesis a moment this 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 word that means to invite the spirit to come into the elements uh, and that's how In many traditions, people uh, feel very close and engaged with God in worship when they participate in eating and drinking those uh, elements because they do believe that Christ either physically or spiritually is in those elements. And so this is how they take the phrase Mm -hmm. spiritual nourishment, and it helps them to remember. And that remembrance, uh, that anamnesis is so that we don't get, wait for it, amnesia mm, I yeah. love that. anamnesis so we don't Spiritual get Spiritual amnesia because we, we forget all the time we do we are pro- life we are gets human. busy
0: mm-hmm. and uh, we forget about the goodness of God in our lives especially when it's just a dark time it's winter and it's terrible and
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I think this brings up a really important part of why we do communion as we call it communion is done in community mm-hmm. and when we stay away from fellowship in the faith, We cannot practice that act of community, and it's supremely uh, displayed in taking the bread and cup together. But simply the acts of fellowship, of being together, of being the gathered, visible church of Christ, is a beautiful act of community. And we display a oneness that exists by God's Spirit. He has made us one. Mm. And so when we are together physically displaying our unity, we are glorifying God simply by coming together to worship Him on a a weekend. Mm. So...
0: Can you be a Christian and refuse to gather with the gathered body? Like I understand if someone has a health issue, they can't make it to church, or something comes up, you can't make it. But if someone's just consistently refusing, oh, I don't need church, I don't need to go, Would you? is that person a Christian?
1: Well, I'm not going to identify their, their position as uh, in eternity. <laughs> However, uh, I do think that we, we approach that aspect of why we attend a gathering of believers with the incorrect question. It's not, what is it going to do for me? Mm -hmm. You see, the scriptures, the New Testament talks about one another so many times. The things that we do with one another when we're gathered for one another, we pray with one another, we encourage one another, we admonish one another, we correct one another. All of these things go on in the company of believers. We have to be one another. We have to be together in order to do the Lord's table and practice that and display and testify to Christ as we do it. I mean, It's an amazing testimony when we tell the gospel story through this communion table. And yet we also need to be gathered in order for baptism to be uh, a sacrament, to be something that we practice as a church, because some need to be getting wet and some need to be witnessing what it is. Mm, yeah. But the beauty of that, again, is that as an act of anamnesis, when I watch somebody go under the waters of baptism, once again, I'm remembering my own baptism yeah. and it brings all of that back. And I want to lean into the covenant once again. And, and that's mm. that, that other beautiful part of the Lord's table. Is the fact that we renew our covenant that Christ made in His blood with us? That's Luke 22. Is the great passage that talks about uh, when Jesus did the the Passover meal or the the Last Supper, as we might call it too, uh, in the Corinthians words of institution that we often read. It doesn't talk about the new new covenant, but He says this is the new covenant I make in My blood in Luke 22. And when you understand and you study covenants and blood covenants of the Old Testament, Jesus was making a very powerful statement because the Father had been the one who had made the covenant with Abraham and a blood covenant with, you know, sacrificed animals and whatnot, mm-hmm. and took the covenant upon himself to say, be it as unto, be it unto me as unto these animals, if I don't keep my promise, mm-hmm. if I don't keep my part of the covenant, which is why when we now practice the Lord's table, I, I get excited about this. We are, <laughs> we are rel- <laughs> relying on God's faithfulness to keep mm-hmm. his part of the covenant. Whoa.
0: Hmm. Let's go. Andrew, you were going to say something. Yeah,
2: I was just going to say, also the author of Hebrews provides this really good picture when he says, uh, do not neglect to assemble with one another, to gather together, but encourage one another. And I love that image of the opposite of gathering is discouragement. Mm -hmm. So Mm. to me, the question is, um, why would you, if you claim to follow Christ, why would you not want to gather with his people if it means... Um, that you will be encouraged and your affections towards Christ will be stirred. Now, is, is church messy? Absolutely. Are people messy? Yes. Do we always get what we want in a church service when we come, to, come at it with that paradigm? No. But that element of coming together and gathering um, in the name of Christ and watching people be immersed in the water and um, partaking in Jesus's body and blood, I mean, those are all part of—that's part of our— that's how God uses grace to sanctify us. And I love when James um, K.A. Smith— describes communion as he calls it the sanctifying letdown because it's both God uses that as part of our our walk with him to sanctify us to make us more like Christ but it's also a letdown because we we just acknowledge that A, you know, not everything is as it should be. Mm-hmm. And I love that we like we look ahead and say, yes, Christ is coming back. And though even though the world is broken, it's not right there as hope. we reflect yeah. on Christ, we find hope together. Yeah. yeah.
1: The other part of what we see in gathering is that aspect of our duty, if I can use that that we are called as the priesthood of all believers to borrow a phrase from Martin Luther. But it, it comes from uh, 1 Peter 2 to 9 when, when he says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation to declare the praises of him who brought you from darkness into light. That's what worship gathering is, is to come together as that. And as we do that and give thanks to God for what he's done, we then encourage one another. And so that's our priestly duty when we gather. And I can't practice that when I stay mm. away from the gathering believer, which is why uh, if we stay away because we have an issue with a brother or sister, it's one of those correctives that we mention whenever we have the Lord's table. We say the scriptures teach us in Matthew 5 that if you have an issue with a brother or sister, get it right. Uh, then come and bring your offering to the altar, it says in Matthew. And in this case, let's, let's hold off on taking of the unity represented in taking the, the bread and cup together until we get it right. Because there's what we can call an ontological unity and a, yeah. a unity that exists even when we don't recognize it. Uh, and that's done by the Holy Spirit for the body of Christ. And then there's the perceived unity. And that's what we need to to work on to restore the sense of ontological unity. In other words, we have to die to ourselves and put our brother and sister first and come humbly and make those rep- reparations and rec- and be reconciled to one another. Mm. In doing that, we bring glory to God because, as Jesus said to the disciples, they will know you are Christians by what? Your love for one another. Yeah.
0: So... Um that, that, and you can find that. We often will fence, you know, at, when we do communion, the person leading it will often say, okay, um, you know, if you have a quarrel against a brother or sister, uh, we ask that you make that right and let the elements pass. pass. And yeah. we also will say that if you're not a Christian, that uh, you shouldn't take in that. Do you guys agree with that? Is, is is this a meal just for Christians? Because also, I love the thing, we do this at Young Adults all the time, where we can say, look, this is an opportunity for you to actually declare your allegiance in Christ too. And come forward... And make this the moment that maybe if you're going to become a Christian for the first time, this might be your first supper.
1: Yeah. I I, I do. Uh, I used to struggle with that aspect mm. of it, but I was talking with one of my professors recently who said that if we don't believe that you have to, uh, in some traditions, you have to be baptized before you can take the Lord's table, take communion. Uh, it's the initiation and then the other is the participation. In our tradition, we see baptism as something which is already representing what's occurred and so if that occurrence takes place in you by the Spirit, and then you say, yes, I want to receive the covenant that that God is offering, then taking part in those things is a valid way of doing that too. But I think that's the word, we want to come back to that word again, covenant, mm-hmm. because we don't use it a lot. It's mm-hmm. a promise. It's an agreement. But it that covenant cost God his own son. It mm-hmm. cost him everything. And so... We need to take the idea of the covenant seriously because God does. And that's why, you know, we we can't be too casual about the Lord's table. And we need to use some, uh, the word fencing is used in certain circles, but at least some awareness of who should partake. I mean, historically in the church, they called it the mysteries. And you were not allowed to partake in the mysteries because it was an ultimate declaration that you were one of these people. Hmm. And uh, you are participating in Christ. Mysteriously, you are one with Christ. So how can you participate in that if you are not one with Christ and not a believer? And so they would say, no, you you should not be participating. And so even today, when you go to, say, an Orthodox service, they will have a time of dismissal in the middle of their liturgy. They will ask those who are not baptized Orthodox believers to be dismissed to another room. Historically, that was so they would go and get catechized or taught the faith. And that was a three-year process in which they learned all the doctrines and could recite them uh, by heart. And then if somebody said, yeah, they say it, but I watch in their lives and they're living it, then you may come and be baptized. And in a Roman world full of persecution uh, and suffering, for you to stand up and say, I want to be baptized was very, very
0: important. So that was your
1: initiation
0: into the Christian church. That's almost an invitation to die. Oh, yeah. If they get a hold of you and they, you know, they persecute you, kill you.
1: And of course, in Roman times, to pick up your cross and and follow me it meant uh, go to your death.
0: You might actually have to pick up a cross. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things I love, and just to, I, I think we've hit this enough. One of the things I love when we do communion is you mentioned that we you know we take present we think about the present, but we also look ahead. Mm-hmm. I just find so much encouragement thinking about the past and how many other people, uh, the saints who have gone before Beautiful, us, yeah. have taken this same meal, mm-hmm. and that unifies us to the people from generations past to, to yeah. Augustine. you know, We take in that meal with him mm-hmm. and with the earliest Christians. And the future saints. And the future saints, yeah. So it's a real cool... Um, that, for me, is really, really neat.
1: I think that's a beautiful mm-hmm. way of thinking about it. There's a there's a whole movement going on called the Ancient Future Movement in worship theology. Uh, Robert Weber is one of the prime spokesmen. John Whitfleet, Marva Don. And they are saying we can't just live existentially in our generation. Mm-hmm. The, and it's not simply to dabble in old stuff because, ooh, that makes us look like we're cool. And we, no, there's a reason we participate in an ancient ritual like the Lord's table because it has so much meaning and because, Daniel, it does connect us with the saints who have also made that profession of faith and have also suffered and died faithfully for the Lord our, our God.
2: Yeah, which is why, why I would tend to lean towards um, the Lord's table being something that believer's practice, if only to guard that sense of the gravity of what we're doing and the unifying element that communion unites us with believers, not just in the moment, in the present, like you're saying, but also past, future. And you're remembering what Christ has done for you and how through your repentance by faith, we have received the blessings of God and right relationship with him. And so, I mean, I, I would typically just say, you know, if you don't know what you're getting into when you're taking communion, it just, it can, it doesn't really mean anything, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So,
0: you know, let's picture, uh, family and they're in a family service or, you know, the kids are in there with them and, uh, you know, maybe the kids, you think they're Christians or who knows, right? Maybe they have a soft spot towards Jesus. Uh, do you, the raising a Christian home, uh, do they take communion as well, Andrew? Or do you just let it pass? Or how how does that work?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I I don't know if I have an answer on the spot for that one. Yeah, I don't know. Penny's not quite old enough yet. (laughs) Yeah, Penny's not quite there. (laughs) Uh,
1: From my perspective, uh, the the idea of the Lord's table comes from a meal which was held as a gathering of people. So if we see it as a family meal, all members of the family may participate in it there is an age of accountability in which people need to be thinking about these things and i'm not sure about the idea of baptizing children i i know it's practiced by some the southern baptists young children And of course, there are people who are infant baptized, Mm -hmm. but they also have confirmation. So there's these little uh, gray areas about who may. And all I can think of is that we should leave it to Mm -hmm. the parents' judgment about their children. Does the child understand the gospel? And does the child appear to want to be following Christ in the gospel, and and there I would I would leave it at that. I think there's another uh, instance in which we can speak to, and that's when sometimes we say, "Hey, you're at our church, but w- no, you can't take the Lord's table with us. Mm. Uh, we're not trying to be inhospitable. That's right. We're just yeah. trying to be faithful to the command of Christ." They're like a the member covenant. of a different
0: church or something. Or? Uh,
1: I'm thinking more of people who are not yet believers. Okay, and they're just observing. But I think the language you use is really helpful to say, "You are welcome here." Yeah. And observe what we do as dedicated believers to Christ who wish to follow him with our all. This is how we tell his story. Yeah. This is how we take part in a covenant. If you're willing to take part in that covenant, step right up. Yeah,
0: But feel no pressure. Just let that go by. Yeah, And, and
1: nor, nor will you have any
0: judgment from us because where
1: you have been, we have been also. Yeah. Where
0: you are, we have been. And that's an important thing to think about too mm-hmm. because, yeah, I, I think one thing we should if we see the communion plate go past someone, that actually means that they're consciously thinking about, like they've been, they've been one of the two reasons, right? They're an unbeliever or there's a quarrel, and you know that they're actually in that moment wrestling through it. So that's a, mm-hmm. that's a cool thing.
1: One of, the, one of the things that we hear in some evangelical circles that I'm troubled about is when people think they have too much sin in their life that they cannot Take yeah, that's the Lord's table. Really unfortunate. Uh, th- there's a heritage that comes from some Pietist movements, and even in in the Catholic tradition in the medieval times, where if you know you weren't worthy to take the Lord's table, and so you had to make do all these things in order to become worthy, which really does run counter to the biblical message about Christ making us worthy. All who are in Christ are made worthy by Him, by His grace, to come to the table. And so I I think there's a sense that we can't make ourselves better. 1 Corinthians 11 doesn't talk about unworthiness in regards to our walk. Now, yes, we should be following Jesus and not be in wholehearted disobedience walk to him if we're going to call ourselves a Christian. Because if you're you're not walking like it, then don't call yourself a believer. Uh, But for those people who need to have a pardon, we like to build in parts of a service in which we can confess our sin to God. And then know from scripture his pardon. He is faithful and just when we confess our sins to forgive us by Christ. That's first John 1, 8, and 9. It's a beautiful passage, mm-hmm. full of hope for the believer.
0: So why don't we do communion every week? Is it practical
2: or do we have a reason behind it, Andrew? Well, for us, I mean it's largely practical. Um, time constraints are, are a huge thing. I mean, we would love to I would love to be able to practice communion more, and we do have services where we practice communion on a more regular basis, but. Wait, where could, where are those services? Sunday night services, they do communion quite regularly, if not every week. Every other night. Every other week, okay, yeah. Okay. and uh,
1: Mission campus, once a month on the first right, yeah. Sunday of the month. Mm-hmm.
2: And now, center court, quite frequently as well, actually, in their services.
1: Uh, I, they might still be in rotation with, uh, West Court okay. and the and the main worship center at this point, but we did have a, an instance when the weekend of the children's uh, production was on, where the other two rooms decided they would also do the Lord's Table, and there was ample time because of the way it was set up, and and so that happened. Uh, but yeah, Andrew's right. There are some time constraints in which we fight against. Historically, though, even from the time of the Reformation, uh, frequency changed. I mean, there's a lot of things we the church agrees with or agrees about when it comes to the Lord's table, like uh, what elements are used, what it represents, things like this. And then there's a few things that we disagree on that we haven't really resolved. And one of those is frequency, because the scripture doesn't talk to it. It just says, as often as you do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can observe in the New Testament where where it says they met on the Lord's Day and it was part of their worship. We can see that in Acts 2.42. We can see that in uh, 1 Corinthians 16 when they met regularly on the Lord's Day. But uh, th- it doesn't say that you are to do this. I mean, there was a period in, well, take the monastic communities where they would do it every day. So they would, they would remember Jesus in this manner as part of their meal. And they would build a liturgy up into it, and then they might go off to their fellowship meal or do it on, in the other way around. But uh, there's also weekly... Uh, There are a lot of churches that do it weekly, some monthly, some quarterly, and this was some of the the great reformers chose quarterly because they wanted to take it seriously. They had a high view of what this act of worship was, and they wanted to make sure that our life was ordered and correct. And in some ways, even in the time of the reformers, it did get a little bit legalistic too. So we have to be careful of our own legalism when we approach the table. And remember, it's Christ who makes us worthy.
2: Here's a question, Johnny, are our... Are our (laughs) community groups welcome to practice communion Mm. in their own time?
1: You know, if you you go back to the origination of the love feast in the homes of the people, uh, yes, you could. Some would argue that even early on in the church, the president or the president over the elements was the bishop or the person in authority, that raises difficult questions about who should actually oversee the table. Right. We have a, a concept in our denomination, uh, in our tradition, of the priesthood of all believers, Sure. which kind of opens that door for us to be able to operate in that, and to understand that in our tradition we don't have—we're not calling down something mystical into the elements that—, that I'm not saying that in a derogatory manner towards our our fellow brothers and sisters in those traditions. Uh, but there are only so many who are authorized in a, in a biblical manner of laying on of hands and they are chosen and set apart to do this, but we don't walk in that tradition. And thereby to remember the Lord at our, in our homes over the table is a good thing. But you know we we talk about saying grace at our dinner table. Uh, Mm. we're, we're asking a blessing on the food and the act of blessing the bread and cup was part of not only Jewish, uh, rituals, table rituals, but also many other Greek and Roman and other pagan cultured rituals too. So that was where it grew out of. And Jesus took that and said, now, when you do this, remember me and all I've done for you. So you can see, you you go back to the, not etymology's origin of word, but the the origin of the ritual itself starts in the the dining room. That's great.
0: We are coming towards the end of this, I think. Here's a quick question for you, and you guys can just, we can banter on this for a few minutes and we'll come to an end. Um, On the weekend, Jeff bashed a lot of modern worship songs saying a lot of them just feel like love songs to Jesus. Do you guys agree? I mean, where have the great Charles Wesley hymns gone? Why aren't we still writing ones like that?
1: Uh, they all show up in Keith Getty's mailbox these days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> why, why Why can't we
2: just sing A Mighty Fortress Is Our God every week?
0: Right, but why have we gone to this point where it's all just lovey-dovey Jesus? And is that just because... Individual or we think that's safe and we enjoy that language. I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on that just briefly?
1: Yeah, I think uh, a, a large part of what transpires as Christian worship music is given to us over the airwaves or the internet or you know the the media. and it's it's a it's a genre of music which talks about our experience as individuals in Christ. Now while there is room in our gathering of believers to be able to say, yes, I want to do this in response to what God has done, we gather corporately in order to celebrate corporately that we are a people. And so the language of songs that are that are wholly focused on me and Jesus uh, is more like a pietistic view of, of a relationship, or devotional songs, if mm. you will, songs of devotion. I have my quiet time with God, and this is kind of what I, uh, I want to say to him. And, and you know, like, those are... Sometimes they're really good songs if they are representing in as an art form what I'm feeling about God. Um, yeah, there, there's probably better ways to say some of these songs than you know, some of the language that's used that looks a little too romantic. Um, and at the same time, I think that there there needs to be a balance swung towards the use of songs that glorify God that are for Him and not just to Him, because when we are gathered, we're, the songs we sing to God and about God, are uh, edifying the brothers and sisters gather and bearing witness to the non-believer in our midst about who is this God we worship. And being a a Jesus-focused community, our song is going to be, be about Jesus, hopefully Trinitarian in the sense that we believe in the Father, Son, and Spirit, and we believe that by the Spirit, God is moving us by the sacrifice of Christ to that union with the Father, and that we are speaking about that regularly in our songs. So should we have songs of worship that are really overly romantic? Probably not. <laughs> At least not in a church setting, too. Mm-hmm. I can, that can be tremendously misunderstood in the kind of culture that we come from with our pop culture. But pop culture has influenced much Christian writing.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of the times in the types of songs that Jeff is speaking about, we, the, the author of the song will make a statement about you know, they'll say something like, you know, we I love you, Jesus, or Jesus, you know, you love me. But I love
0: the way you hold me.
2: Yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, But we, we don't often talk about, like, why it is, or we don't back up those statements with any type of um, background or reason. I was talking with a good friend of mine, and he said, you know, I, I don't want to sing a song that that basically says the byproduct of what I actually should be saying. So take, for example, No Longer Slaves. You know, we sing, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. Now, is that, is it wrong? Are those things wrong? No, but if we are, if we first say the reason why we are no longer slaves to fear and why we are children of God and the narrative of how God, what God has done and how he's done it throughout history Mm -hmm. and and the reason for those things, we will say those things to ourselves even if we don't sing them. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And I was just reading the Song of Moses in Exodus, actually, um, and how it's largely just this big narration of mm-hmm. what God did for the people of Israel. Um, and then the people responding, saying, how great is your name? We exalt you. And then and then even the I language is fine there, too, because, the, you know, they say, I'll sing your praises. I exalt you in the midst of your people because you have done these great things. But they knew why they were praising God. They knew why God loved them. They knew, they had the reasons, the foundation.
1: Yeah, I think there's uh, the danger of having songs that are far too experiential, and I think uh, that's a nice balance that you're pointing out.
0: Cool. Well, guys, I think that's the end of time. I just want to say I always appreciate how the worship team with Giesbrecht and stuff, too, you guys always pick songs and you, intentionally that we're going to be singing these things because the way I think about it, when we leave, we might not remember uh, the whole sermon. We might remember little bits. But a lot of times we, we leave there humming and singing those songs and we take those with us the rest of the day. And, and if we're singing good songs, we're singing good theology to ourselves and encouraging mm. ourselves and admonishing. ourselves. It's our, formative, you know, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so very cool. Thank you for listening. And uh, I hope that wasn't too confusing with uh, the sheriff on here. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the deputy.
2: <laughs> and the deputy.
0: That's
1: right. Uh, and Andrew. <laughs> Makes Jonathan the marshal, I guess. I was,
2: yeah. yeah. there it is. Hey, another another uh, scary looking marshal.
0: Nice. Well, (laughs) thanks for listening. (laughs) Go Jaguars. uh, Oh, man. Go Vikings.